We're in 1 Thessalonians, and you'll need your Bible turned there. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to just do a couple verses in chapter 2, and then we're going to move right into chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 17, talking about the joy and crown. So uh, please open your Bible and follow along as Eric reads for us. Eric, please. Starting in verse 17, But we, brothers and sisters, having been orphaned from you by absence for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and Satan hindered us. For who is our hope, our, or joy, our crown of pride in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Or is it not indeed you? For you are our glory and joy. Thank you so much. It had been a rough road for the Apostle Paul to get to... Um, it had been a rough road to Thessalonica. Paul went to, Phil- to Philippi and uh, got a sound whooping there. Thrown in jail. Went on to Thessalonica. Was there for a few weeks. And once you know it, he got driven out of town. Um, just like some of the folks in our culture who understand a little bit about the persecution. At any rate, he writes, We were orphaned. We were orphaned. But we, brothers and sisters, having been orphaned from you by absence for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. He was orphaned. That's tough stuff, folks. That's being left without resources, without hope. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible place to be. And that's exactly the way he felt when he was stripped of the, the fellowship and the communion that he had known and experienced for those few weeks in Thessalonica. It was Paul's desire to come. But he says, Satan hindered me. Satan hindered me. How in the world did he know that? You know, in, in, at the start of Acts 16, where we get the, the story of his missionary journey to Philippi and, and uh, Thessalonica and Berea and so on, the very start there of that chapter, it says that the Spirit hindered him. He wanted to go here, and the Spirit said no. He wanted to go there, and the Spirit said no. Finally, in a dream, he heard a man from across the water calling, saying, come on over here. Raise your hand, please, if you've had that kind of experience in the last month. <laughs> anyway, that was Paul's experience. At that time, it was the spirit, he says, that was hindering him. Here he says, Satan hindered me. All of us have been in situations where either God is saying, "woo," or Satan is putting his hand on us, in a sense, keeping us from doing or being the kind of people that God wants us to be. How do you tell the difference? Well, I believe there's a a, a sure way of knowing. And the point is, what we need to do is be people of prayer. I was so excited this morning. That's why I said I can't stop smiling. What a great morning. Do you see our parking lot? That was blanketed in snow yesterday morning. And would you believe that Mark Preston and, and Chad... And I got out there with shovels and we cleared the whole thing. You don't believe that. 
Uh, would you believe we watched as the contractor came and plowed in? Okay, anyway. Why did I bring that up? Oh, I know, because I'm happy. Is that okay, Bill? Thank you. All right, yeah, I'm thrilled. We've got good things happening in this local church. God is providing. And what a thrill to go downstairs at 9 o'clock for our prayer time. Are, are you aware that we have a prayer time at 9? Okay, Mike, what do you call that, Mike? Our boiler room. The boiler room, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's where it's happening. This morning, you couldn't find a seat. That was so great. So I'm not discouraging you from coming. We can put more chairs in. But what a blessing to gather with people of like mind who are saying, Lord, we want to know you. We want to speak to you. We want your mind. And when God is seeming either to slow things down or Satan is hindering us, what we need to do is to go to him in prayer. And speak to God. Speak honestly. You know what? I've had trouble over the years of being a phony prayer. Um, anybody know what I'm talking about? I've got this pat little thing that I say. And I'm not knocking anybody here. It's just me. But, you know, I always start out, Lord, bless this day. Well, okay, thank you. And, and then I would say, and be with us. And, and, and as I got to thinking about it, I wasn't into that. Those are just things that you're supposed to say when you talk to God, right? But what God wants us to is to have us open up and speak to Him and let Him know what our needs are, what's going on. Listen, there isn't a person in this building right now that doesn't have deep needs. Every one of you do. And, and you know, sometimes we look at somebody and say, oh, they're really hurting. Hey, listen, if you're looking at them, you're really hurting too. And we need to be people who pray we need to be people who seek God in prayer. And then what you do is you take your Bible while you're praying and you begin reading it. And you know what happens? There's sometimes enlightenment from the Lord. He sometimes even answers that prayer through His Word. doesn't always happen. But there's been times when I've been reading the Bible and praying to God. In fact, one of the best things I've learned to make my prayer life sparkle a little bit instead of being... Uh, never mind. Uh, kind of the routine, flowery nothingness that I sometimes do when I pray. Pray some scripture to God. That is so cool. It's like, God, I want to remind you of something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're not telling God anything new. But what it does is it communicates what's in you is in connection with what's up there of who's in control. You have no... Power, what is it? You have no rival. You have, what else did we sing? No equal, no rival. So take your prayer life and your Bible life and go to God and say, God, I'm going to need some help here. Please show me. Is Satan in control here? Are you in control here? Look, here's the truth. Satan may hinder us, but God is in control. God's purposes are never thwarted. Isn't that interesting? As ugly as it seems that this world is headed in such horrible direction, God's purposes will not be thwarted. His will is always accomplished. He exploits evil. You know, when you exploit something, usually that's a bad thing. You take something that's good and then you kind of twist it around to suit and fit your own needs. Well, God does that, but He does it with evil. 
Evil thinks its hands are, are free and working nicely. And the next thing you know, God twists it. You know where the best place was for that? At the cross. At the cross. What was more evil than what was being done to our precious Jesus? And yet God, all eternity, had perfectly planned that your sin was going to be paid for when Jesus shed his blood on that cross. You're not smiling. Come on. Your sins have been paid for. Larry, can you please smile this morning? Thank you. Hey, what better exploitation of evil has there ever been than when the Lord Jesus suffered and died for us on that cross? A terrible thing to have happened to him, but by far and away the most fantastic thing that's ever happened for me. Jesus died, shed his blood to pay for my ugly sins. What a God. And finally, he causes good to triumph. What a blessing. Think about this. If Paul had visited, he probably wouldn't have written. Right? And then only the church in Thessalonica would have known this good stuff. But guess what? God's intention was, I'll let Satan hinder a little bit. But Paul, you're going to stay where you are. You're going to miss these people like you've never missed anybody before. And you're going to write a letter that I will use for eternity. Whew. Pretty good stuff, huh? We wouldn't have this fantastic letter uh, as part of the Bible. And finally, it looks to me like God wins. God won. God exploited evil. Anybody wonder why the motorcycle? It's a triumph, yes. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Sorry. Paul was anxious to see them. Why? Here it is in verse 19. For who is our hope? or joy, or crown in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Or is it not indeed you? You people in Thessalonica, you're the ones that create hope for me, that create joy for me, that are my crown. Wow, he liked those people. And I'm here to tell you this morning, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is, this is from my heart, you are our joy and our crown and our hope. You, because of the blessing it is to be in fellowship with people who know and love Jesus, to spend time with them. Fantastic stuff. What is hope? Dictionary says, hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation. Let me read that again. To cherish a desire with anticipation. Okay, my granddaughter back there heard there was a snowstorm coming on Friday. You getting embarrassed yet, Amanda? (laughs) And she was worried that the weather would keep the roads, not, not the road, but would keep someone from traveling on those roads. And all she could do was, I'm desiring with anticipation. We won't mention any names, but somebody was coming. Now, here's the thing. She didn't know 
whether or not her hope would be, would be fulfilled. The difference between that kind of hope, a cherish, uh, to cherish a desire with anticipation, is this. When you're a believer in Jesus, your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Knowing God will keep His promise is what makes our hope real. It isn't just, I wish this will happen. It's, I know it's going to happen because my God keeps His promises. Whew, good. Joy, what is joy? According to the dictionary, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, what we delight in, joy. Joy is a part of Christianity. In fact, the Old Testament says, the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. My dear friend Lori Manning lost her husband. We went to his, uh, Al's funeral a few weeks ago. And my prayer for Lori over and over and over again is, Lord, please bring Lori joy in the midst of her sorrow. Isn't that a stupid prayer? No. That's the prospect that Christians have. In the worst of times, we can turn to our God and He can satisfy us. He can bring us joy. He can bring uh, an emotion of well-being, success, or good fortune, even when everything's terrible. He's our joy. And then finally, He talks about our crown, our crown. What is a crown? Well, according to Scripture, it's a reward. And it's kind of a neat study. I'm not going to go into it now. These are five different crowns that are listed in Scripture. Um, there's some references for them. I can share that with you later if, if you're at all interested. But when you're a, a servant of God and are living for the Lord, He has reward for you. Oh, I don't do it for the reward. Well, Paul did, so you're more spiritual than Paul. That's what Dave Glock used to say. I think that, that was pretty good stuff. Paul loved the prospect that he had reward coming to him. And some of these rewards are fantastic. What are we going to do with those rewards, with those crowns? Well, if I get any, I'm going to stack them up on top of my head, you know, maybe two or three, and I'm going to strut around heaven <laughs> like that. Right? Absolutely not. What did the four and twenty elders of Revelation do with their crowns? Anybody know? Cast them at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Who's worthy of this reward? You are, Lord Jesus. And how about this reward? You are, Lord Jesus. And some of you are going to have stacks way up there, and I appreciate that. That's why it's such a thrill to be with you people. My friend Fawn Reibling lost her grandpa, Arnett McEntee, last week. They went out to the funeral in, in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario. And person after person after person stood up to tell of what Arnett McEntee had done to help them in their life. If they had time, I think there would have been hundreds of people. And I just thought to myself, wow, that's cool. Arnett, you're not even going to be able to walk. You're going to have so many crowns on your head. 
And what's Arnott going to do? He's going to say it's all because of the Lord Jesus. These are all rewards that, that really belong to Christ. And, and, and I believe that all of us, like those four and twenty elders, that's King James, the 24 elders threw their crowns at the feet of the king. And uh, I believe we will too. Interesting study. Just uh, That's a little side note. That wasn't in, in 1 Thessalonians, but it's free. Okay. Why was Paul so anxious to see them? He goes on to say in verse 20, For you are our glory and joy. There's joy again. Isn't that great? But what about glory? What's glory? You remember when Moses went out and, and to the mountain and said, please, I want to see you, God. And God said, Moses, you couldn't handle it, man. For anyone to see my face would mean that they immediately were vaporized. It's just too much for any human to handle. But I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. I'll hide you in this little crevice in the rock. And when, you go, when I go by, I'll kind of cover that spot with my hand. And, and after I've passed, I'll let you have a little glimpse some translators say even a glimpse of where he had been. But others say of, of the back part of who God is. And again, I'm going to call on you. What happened to Moses after he had seen the back part of God? Anybody? What? Yeah. You ever go out and try and look at the sun? That's what it was like to look at Moses. Hey, Moses, oh, how you doing? It was horrible. Cover up. Put a veil over your face. That's the only way we can stand to have you around. That's glory, isn't it? But there's more to glory than just that. And this is what's really cool because you and I are designed to bring glory to God. How in the world can we make God's face shine? How can we do that? Well, understand this. It's not just brightness. It's not just brightness, but it also has to do with reputation. We have an opportunity to make God look really good. Am I making any sense? We have an opportunity to enhance God's reputation. That's what it means to bring God glory. We add some clout to who God is. You say, Lev, that's... Nobody needs that. I mean, how can you add anything to God? The purpose is there are people in this world who don't know him, who have not had that wonderful experience of knowing that their sins can be forgiven by simply believing that Jesus is God himself and that he paid for your sins, for my sins, when he shed his own blood. And people who don't know that need to be introduced to him. For most people in our culture, God is just... A word that you use when you're really ticked, right? And what they need to do is have an experience where somehow they're introduced to not just the brightness, but to the beauty and the holiness and the wonder of that God that we were singing about. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. And as they have that opportunity, we have the ability to make him famous. Who knows what the mission statement is for great adventure? Mark, I hope you'll raise your hand. Nobody? All right. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Part of our mission statement is to make God famous.
Another way of saying it is, our mission is to glorify God. How else can I say it? it one time I went to a, a concert where a guy named Glenn Yarborough was singing, and, and um, the, the stagehands were operating the spotlight, and they'd follow him around the stage with that spotlight. And for some reason, the spotlight went from like this down to... And finally, Yarborough goes and he sticks his face down in the light and he says, hello, like that. Well, here's our chance to be the stage crew, the spotlight operator. There's God, everybody. And we shine the spotlight on God. We say, ta-da, we make him famous. How do we do that? With our lives. And, and Paul is going to pray for them in this regard. Eric, would you please read the next section? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it best to be left behind alone at Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For even when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it happened, as you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be for nothing. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you f- through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Why was he so anxious to see them? He knew that they were going to be suffering. He had suffered enough so that they had to get him out of town. And they were going to suffer because of the name of Christ. And you are going to suffer for the name of Christ. And if it hasn't happened much in our culture, wait. Give us another week. Give us a month. We're going to suffer. And Paul had deep concern for them because he was afraid that Satan, who had hindered him, would also be tempting them to walk away from their faith, to be so discouraged by being persecuted that they would no longer stand firm in their faith. You old people can stop listening for a few minutes. I'm talking to those 21 and under, and I'm going to look you right in the eye, okay? You need to suffer for Jesus. You need to be in such a position that people know who you are. Don't be like your preacher, who all through high school had two distinct lives. One was his church life, and one was his school life. And I'm embarrassed. I feel terrible. I've confessed it to the Lord many, many times. But I didn't have the guts to let anybody at my school know that Jesus was my Savior. Don't be like that. You hearing me? Bring those together. The people you are when the Christians gather and we talk about the things of God and so on. And we sing these fabulous songs 
about how wonderful God is and how much Jesus has done for us. Be that person every day. And guess what? You will suffer. It's embarrassing to stand up here and tell you what a hypocrite I had been and sometimes still am. That's why I need you. That's why I've got to be with you guys. That's why I need to be in prayer and I need to be in the Word and I need to have fellowship and I need to remember the Lord and and all those things because I don't have it, folks. And it's such an encouragement to me to see a young person who will stand up and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and have the spitballs and the ridicule and the hatred thrown in your direction. But you say, I'm going to stand strong for the Lord Jesus. I'm going to take my spotlight and I'm going to shine it on Jesus. Paul was worried. He thought, maybe those guys in Thessalonica are going to be like leverance. Wouldn't that be awful? And so he sent Timothy. He cared about these people. Wanted to find out what was going on. Remember when Chad was... Listen, poor Chad. That had been the toughest preaching time you ever had last Sunday. Okay? I'm glad it was you. Um, (laughs) Chad brought out the fact that Paul felt such care for them that it it was like the relationship between a nursing mother and her child. He sent Timothy, one, to find out how they were doing. He sent Timothy to encourage them. And he sent Timothy to teach them something more about suffering and the value of it. You might say, I didn't buy into Christianity so I could suffer. But that's part of the game, folks. And when we suffer and do it the way God wants us to do it, it brings glory to His name. It makes Him very famous. That's our calling. When you get to heaven, one of the things you can say is, Lord Jesus, it was a delight to make you famous among my friends. You know what he's going to say? Well done. Nice job. Way to go. What did he find when he sent Timothy? But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. Verse 8, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And folks, that's the way it is with brothers and sisters in Christ. Our connection, our united efforts allow us to really experience what life is all about. We weren't designed to be hermits. We weren't designed to be in isolation. Ask anyone who's been uh, a captive, uh, say, in, in, in a communist country and placed in solitary confinement. See what that's like. We're not designed for that. And the enemy knows that if I can just get that person isolated, I'll just get them out there all by themselves. I'll put them in that little cage and I'll have control of their lives. But God says, no, I want you to gather with other Christian people who know and love Jesus the way you do, and that will be an encouragement and a help to you. Read again, please, verses 9 through 11, Eric. For what thanks can we give to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice because of you before our God? as we keep praying most earnestly night and day that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. 
Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Read 12 again. And may the Lord... And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Wow. As Paul prays for them, his heart is filled with joy because he knows that there is a God in heaven who has the power to answer those prayers and even in their suffering, use their lives to bring glory to, to the Lord Jesus. First gone. He, he has great joy because he gets to see them again soon. He has great joy to be able to fill in the gaps in their faith. You have some gaps in your faith, okay? Now, the reason I know that is because I kind of know something about you. And there's only two people in this room who don't have any gaps, but I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm not one of them. We need those gaps filled. How do you fill gaps in people's faith? Any ideas? What would be some suggestions? That was a question. What? Pray. Pray. Thank you, Scott. Michael, look like you had something. Bible study with them. What else? Laura, I see you nodding your head. Go ahead. Fellowship. Fellowship. Anybody else? What? Mentoring. Mentoring. Oh, my goodness, what a novel concept. One of the things I love about the youth group is that they have leaders who are in place to mentor our young people. Isn't that cool? To have somebody who says, you know what, I'd, I'd like to be with you. I'd like to spend time with you. I'd like to spare, uh, take a little bit of time to study the word and to pray for you and those kinds of things. That, I don't think that would be too bad a thing for anybody in this church who has a gap in their faith. Okay? Let's seek out somebody to be in close fellowship with. Good stuff. And finally, he prays that God would make their love grow and overflow. That I don't know if you can figure that, but that's a, a glass of 7-Up there, and it's kind of running over the top, okay? That's what God wants from our love. He wants it just to bubble out of us and flow all over the place for one another. And then he adds this, for all people. What a difference it would make to live in a world where love was overflowing and bubbling just for us but for everybody around us. Love, not this gushy, squishy, weird feeling that we call love, but love being the highest good that anyone can do. That's, I think that's a pretty good definition of what God's love is, agape. Am I saying that right? Where's my Greek people? All right, agape, God-quality love, and it has to do with giving, all right? What a blessing. You know what? When Paul writes what he does here in Thessalonians, it reminds me of what someone else, probably Paul, wrote in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read there. Paul says this, 10, 23 through 25. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, 
not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's the same language. It's the same message. I want you to overflow with this kind of love. What's our response? Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. You ever have a tendency to want to doubt him a little bit? Mm -hmm. I see two nods. The rest of you are deeply spiritual people. Praise God to be among you. Okay. (laughs) Hold firmly without wavering. Hang on. It's a desperate situation. There's only one hand on that rope. Get get both hands on there. Hang on without wavering. Is it going to be tough? Absolutely. Are you going to be discouraged? Yes. Are your hands going to get, get cramped and weary and you want to let go? Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Why? Because the faithful God is the one to whom we have our allegiance. The faithful God is the one that we're really holding on to. And it's, 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 it's more than us holding on to him. It's more him holding on to us. Hang in there, people. King James had a good word there. Let's consider how to encourage one another and love and good deeds. That's a little wimpy. King James says, let's provoke one another. Now, young people, you are experts at that. (laughs) Only it's usually your parents that you're provoking. Abby, I expect a smile out of that. Thank you, dear. She loves it when I pick on her. That's why I do that. Provoke, what does it mean? Well, I kind of, I go back to my days as a farmer, okay? And, and once in a while, we'd have to load up hogs into the truck to send them to the, send them to market. And hogs usually don't like being loaded up. And so you know what we did? We'd get like a stick. Not, not a real sharp one, although I've been told sharp ones work well too. But behind that poor little piggy, we'd go, and give him a little provocation. We would provoke him a little bit. And he'd squeal all the way up the ramp. Okay? God says, hey, listen. That was a bad illustration. You're not... Um, What else could we use? Beautiful little sheep. No, I don't know. Let's consider how we can provoke one another, how we can encourage one another in love and good deeds. Wow. Hey, I've got some good deeds for this church. Are you ready? Chad is very old. (laughs) And my heart broke as I saw him out there shoveling snow yesterday. (laughs) Poor Chad. Are there any able-bodied, healthy young women <laughs> who would be able to handle a snow shovel for us after it snows. I don't see any hands. All right, I'll go on. <laughs> see this table? This is one of the most important aspects of our entire church. The communion with the Lord Jesus at his supper. But you know what? We've had a real problem because those trays just sit there and they don't fill themselves. Not one Sunday have I come and have those trays fill themselves. (sighs) We need someone who's a gifted person with a little cup filler. 
And you have to be able to go like this. Doot, doot. Everyone, could you practice with me, please? <laughs> well, I didn't. You fell for it, man. I asked. There you go. Hey, doot, doot. those need to be filled every Sunday morning. Okay? Somebody needs to go to Hy-Vee and buy the bread. Now, I bought the bread today, and I bought Hawaiian bread because that's what I think is, was used at the Lord's Supper. At the, <laughs> but anyway, I'm provoking you. Are there any other ways that we can provoke one another? Ralph, anybody need, do you ever need help in the uh, sound booth back there? Sometimes you got it covered pretty much. All right, well, then we're not going to provoke anybody to help in the... If Joel was up here, I'd ask Joel and Lori. Joel and Lori, how many Sundays have you gone downstairs and taught our Sunday school without a break? Guess what I'm going to provoke you about now? Okay, we'll skip that one. All right. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. I heard a cool thing. We met with the elders from Anchor um, Community Church yesterday, yesterday morning for a, a time of prayer with them. And one of the things that they do is they went to Fulton Elementary School, a public elementary school, and volunteered to partner with them to do stuff for them. And he listed several things that they do. You know, they, they get... Christmas gifts for the kids sometimes. And what else did he say? He said they, yeah, they did a Christmas program, invited them to come in. Uh, they go and fix stuff in the school. Oh, well, that's probably a pretty good idea. Maybe we should provoke. Some... My time is up. Let's move on. Okay. Not abandoning our own meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You can't read what it says around fellowship, but there are some fantastic words. Union, trust, agreement, success, colleagues, group, connection, together, teamwork, strength, solidarity, togetherness, partnership, support, diversity, relationship. And I can't even read the real, real fine print. That's what fellowship is all about. You and I can have fellowship. Where do we have fellowship in this church? See, Mike is a strong believer in potlucks. <laughs> and and uh, you can have fellowship anywhere else, but you don't have a real fellowship when you have a potluck. Next Sunday, we're not going to have a potluck, but we are going to have a dinner that we invite all of you to come to, and the elders are buying, um, and we're going to have fantastic... I think, is it filet mignon? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Anyway... It's going to be great next time. And we can eat together. We can have fellowship together. But Megan and Edward, did you get the coffee made? Okay, we can have fellowship around a cup of coffee. Have you noticed that Christians cannot have fellowship unless there's food involved? (laughs) I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Fellowship. People, I need that. All right? I need your fellowship. Scripture says, iron sharpens iron, you sharpen me. The scripture tells about how one person can correct another person. I need that. The scripture talks about how your stories of joy and success fill me, just like Paul, with wonderful feelings of happiness. I'm thrilled when I'm in fellowship with you. And then there's fellowship at the Lord's Supper. Wow. I know I harp on this a lot, but people, when you get to know and appreciate the value of, of this gathering that we do, you say to yourself, I, I don't know if I can go another week without remembering the Lord. Pretty important stuff. I, again, we'll, we'll move on. The author of Hebrews ends that section with, 
and all the more. In other words, provoke, uh, gather, do all of these things, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? Is that the 4th of July? What do you think, Tom? What is it? When he comes back. He's coming. And everything points to the fact that he's coming soon. If you need some information, you sit down with Scott Warren for the next six hours and he'll empty all he knows into your brain. Drive you nuts. <laughs> now, Scott, Scott has spent a lot of time talking, talking, studying about the Lord's return and it's, it's excellent stuff. But I think of this, listen. I want to remember the Lord Jesus today because if he comes on Wednesday, I want to be able to say, boy, it was a great time with you around the feast that you asked us to partake of. Remember when he said that? Please remember me. Take this bread. Take this cup. Remember me. I'm coming soon. Father, I'm afraid because you've, you've spoken to my heart. And if I don't have your Holy Spirit propping me up on this, I'm going to be just an empty bag of wind. I need your help in performing. I need you and, and my brothers and sisters to provoke me to love and good works and to the fellowship of your people. And I pray that for all my, my family here. In Jesus' name, amen.